2: Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. Hope you enjoy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was June 7th, 1951. Paul Blobel, a German SS commander and war criminal in charge of Sonderaktion 1005, was hanged at Landsberg Prison just after midnight. The exact number of people killed under Nazi policies is unknown, but there is no doubt that the death toll is in the millions. Despite the lack of an official number and the destruction of Nazi documents, the devastation and atrocity of Nazi actions is well documented. Still, once Western countries began receiving reports of the atrocities the Nazis perpetrated in Europe, the Nazis began devising ways to conceal and destroy evidence of so-called Jewish extermination. Aktion 1005, or Sonderaktion 1005, was Nazi Germany's campaign to destroy all evidence of the mass murder it had committed during World War II. Aktion means action. Action. Action 1005 was overseen by Zonderkommando 1005, the security service and the police force of Nazi Germany. Zonderkommando euphemistically meant special unit. In March of 1942, German SS official Reinhard Heydrich put SS Standartenführer Paul Blobel at the head of the operation. But the operation was delayed after Heydrich was killed in early June. Later that month, head of the Gestapo Heinrich Müller gave Blobel the go-ahead. The point of the operation was to get rid of all evidence of Jewish genocide, but evidence was also destroyed of non-Jewish murders. Part of the Nazi plan to get rid of the evidence was to burn corpses. The first corpses were burned at Kelmno, an extermination camp in Poland. At first, Blobel attempted to use incendiary bombs to destroy bodies dug up from mass graves, but that set nearby forests on fire. So instead, Blobel decided to build pyres of bodies on iron grills. He layered corpses between firewood, soaked the pyre in fuel, and burned everything. Bones were crushed and reburied. The land was then flattened, plowed, and replanted. Actaeon 1005 officially began at Sobibor, an extermination camp in Poland. Prisoners known as Lycan Commando, or corpse units, were forced to dig up bodies from mass graves and burn them. Since the operation was a secret, the prisoners who were forced to take part in the cover-ups were killed. German staff, who had been sworn to secrecy, were not sent back to their units. In 1942 and 1943, corpses were also burnt in Treblinka, Belzec, and Auschwitz. By mid-1943, corpses were being systematically destroyed in the occupied Soviet Union, Poland, and Yugoslavia. Extermination camps that had crematoria, like Auschwitz and Belsen did not need Action 1005 commands, and the operation went to the scenes of earlier mass killings at Babi Yar, Poneri, the Ninth Fort, and Brona As Soviet armies advanced in 1944, SS official Wilhelm Koba, Ordered that each of the General Government five districts set up its own units to get rid of evidence of the mass murders quickly. The General Government was an administrative unit that the Germans established, made up of the parts of Poland that were not incorporated into the Third Reich. But Soviet troops reached some of those sites before all the corpses could be destroyed. The operation continued until late 1944. The Nuremberg Trials, conducted between 1945 and 1949, prosecuted Nazis for war crimes and their participation in the Holocaust. The Einsatzgruppen Trial took place from September 1947 to April 1948. Einsatzgruppen were units of the SS, security police, and order police that carried out mass killings during the German invasions of Poland and the Soviet Union. In this trial, a U.S. military tribunal tried and convicted Paul Blobel for crimes against humanity, war crimes, and membership in criminal organizations. On June 7, 1951, Paul Blobel was executed, along with other Nazi criminals. The destruction of the remains of victims of Nazi killings through Acteon 1005 contributed to Holocaust denial. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you feel like correcting my pronunciation or my accent on anything that I've said in the show, feel free to leave a very kind comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. If you want to learn even more about history, you can listen to a podcast I host called Unpopular, Unpopular is a podcast about people in history who challenged the status quo, they rebelled, and they resisted the conventions of the day. And sometimes they were persecuted for it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
3: Delve into the visceral world of hip hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steels every Thursday, each episode provides an in depth exploration into the formative artists, monumental albums, and socio political factors that have shaped gangster rap from its emergence in the 80s.
0: start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hey, y'all. I'm Eves, and welcome to The San History Class, a podcast where history waits for no one. The day was June 7, 1917. Poet Gwendolyn Brooks was born in Topeka, Kansas. Brooks was the first Black American writer to win a Pulitzer Prize. Brooks was raised in Chicago, where she grew up reading poets like Paul Lawrence Dunbar and writing her own work. She was introverted, but her parents supported her love for reading and writing. She published her first poem, Even Tide, when she was a teenager. And by age 17, she was publishing poems frequently in the newspaper, The Chicago Defender. After graduating from junior college, Brooks began working as a publicity director of the youth organization of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP. She also continued developing her craft by going to poetry workshops, and she pursued a career in writing. All the while, Brooks was paying attention to the racial dynamics in the city of Chicago. She once said, quote, I wrote about what I saw and heard on the street. Brooks published her first poetry collection, A Street in Bronzeville, in 1945. In it, she chronicled the everyday life of Black people in her neighborhood. The book garnered her critical acclaim and people welcomed her as a new voice in contemporary poetry. Four years later, Brooks published Annie Allen, a book of poetry that tells the story of a Black woman's growth from childhood to adulthood in Bronzeville. Brooks won the Pulitzer Prize for this book in 1950. Her earlier work was characterized by social realism, technical expertise, and a different perspective on Black life. She published her first and only novel, Maud Martha, in 1953. The book told the story of Maud Martha's life in short vignettes. After Brooks attended the second Black Writers' Conference at Fisk University in 1967, her writing style changed and her work took a more political stance. In the Mecca, published in 1968, included a long narrative poem about a mother searching for her lost child in a Chicago housing project. Author and activist Tony K. Bambara wrote in the New York Times Book Review that Brooks had, quote, A new movement in energy, intensity, richness, power of statement, and a new stripped, lean, compressed style. A change of style prompted by a change of mind. In the 1970s, Brooks left the publishing house Harper & Row and turned to new Black publishing companies. She also published her first autobiography, Report from Part 1, in 1972. While some critics said that it didn't give them the insight that they hoped for, Others praised its acknowledgement of her role as a poet. Brooks was the first Black woman to become the poetry consultant to the Library of Congress. Through this work, Brooks visited local schools. She was also Poet Laureate of the state of Illinois. And in this role, she visited colleges, prisons, hospitals, and other community institutions. Altogether, Brooks wrote more than 20 books of poetry. She also taught at universities around the United States. Brooks died in 2000. I'm Eve Chefcoat, and hopefully, you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any kind words you want to send us, you can hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also send your notes to us via email at day at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow.
3: For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to
2: the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger
1: they endured.
3: They said, my head should be cut off.
1: I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV...